You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right. Week two, Malachi, who cares? That's what we're going to talk about today. Who cares? Well, I care, and I hopefully you care. Today's message is called Who Cares? Uh, last week, I started off with an uh, impersonation of the Godfather, and if you missed it, I was thinking of doing it this week, but we got a lot going on, so I'm going to do it maybe next week. So uh, come and you'll see the Godfather next week. Um, Malachi 1, because we got a late start, let's just jump right in. Malachi 1, verse 1, it says, A prophecy, which means a weighted, solid, powerful word from God, something that's heavy, the word of the Lord of Israel through Malachi. God refers to himself all through the book of Malachi as the Lord Almighty. It's one of the, one of the greatest and strongest titles of God in the scriptures because it means Simply the existent, the self-existent, all host of creation, uh, creator of all, the boss. So today, and in this series, we're talking about the boss has something to say. The word Malachi means the messenger, and we don't know if he was an actual person or if it was just the title of the book as the message. I kind of lean towards it's a person. It's one of the most often quoted books in the New Testament. God is silent after this book for the next 400 years. Uh, the next prophet to show up is in the New Testament named John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes. In fact, John the Baptist is prophesied in this book. We're going to talk about that next week. Here's the context of the background. Israel and Judah had been taken off as slaves to Persia and Babylon, and they were allowed to go back to their homeland after about 100 years of exile, 75 to 100 years. They went back home to Israel. They, they built the temple. They were excited. And then 75 years later, they got lazy in their walk with God, began to drift from God, began to wonder if God was even there or around. And so the boss sends a message, and he says the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. In verse 2, he starts off with, I love you. Now, if you've ever been in leadership with me for a long time, I explained to him that whenever time for confrontation, you need to give them the love sandwich, right? You say, I love you. I need to talk to you. I love you, right? So it begins with love. You're awesome. I love you. You're doing a great job. But there's always a big but involved in there. But this needs to change. This is going on. This is what I need to help you understand. And then love again. Well, God gives us the love sandwich. He starts right off the top and says, I love you. So I want you to write this down. Who cares? Well, God cares about you. So we're going to kind of unpack. You might be sitting here going, I don't know if God cares about what's going on at home. I don't know if God cares about what's going on on the other side of the world. I don't know if God cares about what's going on in my family. I don't know if God cares about what's going on in my account. Well, God cares about you. And God is about to get serious, but he wants to lay it on the line and say, very front, after all you've done, I haven't given up on you. And I love you very much. Now, they answer after God says, I love you. They say, well, how have you loved us? And that was the emphasis of last week's message. God responds, well, the reason you can't feel me or you don't think that you love me is because you offer half-baked, heartless, lifeless leftovers, and you're just going through the motions. It's time to remember and go back to what I've done for you. 
And then the second thing they ask is, God, not only can we not feel your love, but we don't feel like we're making a difference. So God says, well, if you don't feel like you're making a difference, it's because you're not in the right place in your life where I'm not in the right place of honor in your life. And you need to go back to the purpose and call of God that you have been given in this world and in your home. Complacency like a cancer was eating at their commitment with careless worship and a sloppy walk. So here's the deal. He picks up right there. The messenger then begins to give another message to Israel. And uh, this one is personal. You thought last week was harsh and some of the craziest verses you'll ever read were in last week's message. You can get it online, read through it. It is uh, powerful. It's convicting. Well, you thought last week, well, this one hits home. Literally, we're going to our home life today. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Love Life Week. And, uh, well, the great thing about preaching through the Bible is it hits it all. So whether you want to talk about this today, we're talking about it. And I love how the scriptures tell us what to speak. I'm not in some room brainstorming with some leaders. What can we talk about this week? We're letting God's Word tell us what we're going to talk about. So Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, it's where we left off last week. Let's pick up right here. Verse 10, it says, Do we all have one Father? Now, he's not talking about people on the planet that we're all children of God. Basically, he means that we are all one through the fatherhood of God. That means if we have become people of God, then we all have one father. And he says, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors? That's God's commitment. By being unfaithful to one another. That word there means break faith. I want you to write this down, not... That God not only cares about you, God cares about your commitments. And here's the question, where's the loyalty? God wants to know, you know, you struggle with knowing me. You struggle with knowing others. You struggle trying to figure out what's going on in your life. Well, here's a question. Where's your loyalty? Not only have you not been loyal to me, but God says you have not been loyal to each other. You know, we live in a loyalty-deprived culture. I'm going to be honest with you. Loyalty is a character trait, and unfortunately, many lack character. This is hugely important. Do you honor your commitments? Nothing can cut deeper in your home. Nothing can cut deeper at work. Nothing can cut deeper with your kids or in your marriage than broken promises, broken trust, and dishonesty. And God says, you know what? It's time to get back to being a people of loyalty and character and commitment. He says, I have a problem with you, and that is you lack character. You're disloyal to each other. You know, I feel like I want my words to be a currency. That means my words need to be gold. Are your words a currency? Can, can your words be taken to the bank? Here's a couple of thoughts. You want your words to be currency? Well, realize that you can't do everything, and it's okay to say no sometimes. Uh, here's another way you can make your words currency is clear up broken agreements quickly. Here's another thought. Speak with purpose. Say what you mean and we and mean what you say. Here's another one. Keep your promises. Follow through on commitments, even if it costs you and it hurts a little. Here's a challenge. God says we have a God who is faithful and honors his word. We have a God whose promises are forever and ever. Amen. That means if he says it, he will guarantee do it. There's absolutely no way that God will ever go back on his word. Ever. Never. 
And if Christ is in you, if you have been someone who's given your life to Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are to have that kind of character and loyalty as well. And you are to keep your word, your commitments, and your loyalty. He goes on to say in verse 11, he says, Judah, oh, jump back, God's name and names here. He says, Judah has been unfaithful. He says, a detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. Everybody say the Lord loves. What does he love? The sanctuary. Now, the word sanctuary means God's holy community. And I want you to hear this because we're talking about things that God cares based out of Malachi. He cares about you. He cares about your character. He cares about your commitment. And he cares about our time together. He cares about the church. And I, and I want to get this in your heart. We saw this in chapter 1. God says, the reason you can't connect with me is because when you come together, you come with such heartless, half-hearted, lifeless worship. You see, God loves this. God loves us getting together. God loves it. He doesn't just like it. He loves this. He loves it when we meet together, when we get together Do you love what he loves? Very simple. And here's what Judah did. Judah, which by the way, that word literally, my wife told me she's going to punch me every time I say literally. Because I say literally, literally all the time. Literally. Literally. Now, she she doesn't even want to hear the word. So there's a five-second rule that if I say it, she's got five seconds to punch me. And uh, if not, then I get away with it. And she even looked up uh, online on her phone uh, a thesaurus to give me options, but I literally do not like any of them. So (laughs) Judah really, really means praise. The word Judah means praise. So check this out. Instead of being people of praise, they became a people of reproach. They became people of dishonor. This is what they did. Verse 11 continues, says, Judah has desecrated, that means polluted the sanctuary the Lord loves, by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Now here's what happened. When Judah returned from captivity, the men saw some fine-looking foxes from the foreign lands. They lived in the land, and they wanted to hook up with these heathen hotties. So some divorced their wives and married these other women who worshipped these false idols. God was not so happy because this was actually going to plant a seed of division in their life, a seed of disloyalty towards God and to each other in their life. It was going to create a seed of stumbling in their life, and it was complete disobedience from God. So I want you to write this down. You know what he cares about? He cares about who you marry. We're going to talk about marriage today. And if you're single, he cares about who you date. God cares about the relationships and who you date, who you marry. Some have attempted to use this passage right here to denounce interracial dating and marriage. But this has nothing to do with interracial dating. has everything to do with interracial, or uh, sorry, interfaith marriage and interfaith dating. Now, I want to say this about interrace marriage. I think that God loves the human race. And I think... God loves race. I think he loves the variety. God created us with variety. Um, People say, well, I'm colorblind. I'm not colorblind because I like the variety. I like the beauty of the different types of people, the different types of cultures. And I think if we're part of the human race, 
and we love the same Lord God Almighty, and He has put in our hearts a desire to pursue, to know this one God of all, Jesus Christ, then God says, you know what? Then be in union together as the human race together pursuing God. He loves the human race. It's beautiful, and I think it's beautiful too. For them, however, this was about trusting and following God and disobeying God's desire for them to marry people of like mind, not of like skin color. Some of us, we do the same thing. We go, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to be dating someone that's not a Christian. If you're a Christian, God says very clearly that God has in mind for you someone who's on the same journey as you, someone who's pursuing the same God as you, someone who's, uh, who's chasing after Jesus like you. Now, some of you, particularly singles, you know, I'm not waiting on God anymore because I don't like anybody in my church. It's taking too long, God, and I know better. And I am a great evangelist when it comes to dating. I can win this person over, I know. And besides, he's really nice, and he must be a Christian because he has a cross tattoo. So you begin to reason out, guys and girls, you do it too, that possibly it's okay to to disagree with God on this. In the New Testament, we hear the same thing. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, don't be unequally yoked or connected with one another. There's this idea that a yoke is what goes on the back of an ox, and as it pulls the plow, they would put two of them together of equal strength, of equal power, as they would pull the plow and harvest the field, and a great work would be done when two oxes were equally yoked together. But when one was unequally yoked, one was stronger than the other, one was weaker than the other, the plow would go all over the field and wreck their harvest, wreck their crop. And Paul is saying, God is saying, why is this such a big deal? Why does God care? Because it's an issue of stumbling and it's an issue of our growth with God. Malachi 2.12, he goes on and he says, As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, May the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Basically, if you do this, you're always going to struggle to connect with God. Now, I want to clarify, because there's a couple things I need to clarify what this does not mean. What this does not mean is that if you are a Christian and you do date someone that's not a Christian, that does not mean that a non-Christian will never become a Christian. I've got some verses in there. First Peter 3 tells us that, that we are the light of the world and it is our responsibility to hang around with those who are lost, particularly those in our relationships. Or this does not mean that if you are married to a non-Christian that you have the freedom to leave a non-Christian. That is not true. First Corinthians 7 says that you actually sanctify that marriage by your presence. That means you bring God's Spirit into that home regardless of who your spouse is. It is saying that if you still have the choice, settle in your mind right now not to marry or date someone who doesn't love Jesus with all that they got. This should be number one on your date list. This should be number one on your spouse list. I did. Look who God gave me. Young adults, here's a thought. Focus on finding rather than, uh, focus on being rather than finding Try this out. Make a detailed list of what you're looking for, looks, personality, etc. Now take this list and ask yourself, why in the world would this person marry me? Are you becoming that person? Are you becoming 
the person they want to marry. Kind of reminds me of this joke. Deciding on what I want to share this morning, I jam-packed here. Here's a joke. Young man proposing to his girlfriend. He had a ring in his hand. He said, sweetheart, I love you so much. I love you. I want to spend my life with you. I don't have the car that John Mason has, but I love you. And I don't, I don't have the house as big as John Mason. I don't have the bank account as John Mason. I, know, I may not be as good looking as, as John Mason, but honey, I love you. I love you with all my heart. Will you marry me? She says, she looks at him in the eye and says, I love you too, but tell me more about this John Mason. <laughs> it's amazing how easily we lose focus on our relationships. Malachi continues in verse 13. He says, another thing you do, he says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because you no longer, uh, because he no longer, that's the Lord, the, the Lord God no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure. From your hands. That means he says, here's another thing you do. You cry out to God, God, where are you? God, help me. God, I need you. And you're not connecting with God. You're just not connecting. You're, you're crying out to God, he says, and they can't seem to break through. God's not responding. God's not showing up. God feels distant. Now, here's the challenge. This is a powerful word to those of you that are married today, this Valentine's week. Some of you are trying to figure out, God, where are you? And this is God's word for you. He says, you ask why, God? Why can I not feel you in my marriage, in my life, in my home, in my relationships? God, why? And this is what he says. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth, and you've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. I love that word, partner. The wife of your marriage covenant. Marriage is not rooted in the feelings and emotions, but in the rock-solid covenant of our commitment before God and His people. I want you to write this down. God cares about your marriage. Some of you guys are trying to figure out, God, you see, you know my relationship. I've got the obligatory card and gift and chocolates this week. But God, you know under the surface that things are not as well. As they should be. God, I need your help. So I need two volunteers. I need a married couple to come up here. I have a married couple that's on the front row that might be willing to help. Uh, you had no idea. See what happened when you're on the front. Could you come up here for just a minute? <laughs> you didn't. Now, they honestly had no idea they were going to be up here. Wow, front row Joes. Maybe the last time we have you on the front row. Come on over here. <laughs> Excuse me, I am uh, getting over uh, an infection. I um, will not infect you. All right, this is a married couple. You are married, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> just, just double checking, you know. If you're not, I love you. We can take care of that right now. All right, before God, and then we can do it legal later. Um, husband and wife, let's clarify, all right? This is a married couple. God cares about you. He cares about your marriage. And if you're in here today, God cares about your marriage, I want to share with you a couple things. Marriage is probably one of the greatest examples or pictures of our relationship with God on the planet. That's why God loves it. Oh, it's okay to be tall. Uh, well, you're not that tall. But, um, marriage is one of those beautiful examples of God's covenant relationship with us. And um, it, is, it is one of the few places in the scriptures where we get this dynamic example of what it means to be in relationship 
with God the Father and his children, not the true child, but you have this marriage relationship. And we find it all through scriptures. So I want to share a little bit about this. But the Lord God says, you have been unfaithful. He says, the reason men, the reason wives, possibly, the reason you struggle in your family, in your home with, particularly in this day, the reason you struggle with God is because you've been unfaithful to your spouse. What does that mean? Well, the word unfaithful means treacherous. But here's some thoughts. It obviously means unfaithful, right? Some of you guys, you might know it means, uh, some of you guys, what immediately comes to mind? Adultery, maybe. You know, like I'm faithful. Well, it also means a loveless marriage, a faithless marriage, not meeting marital needs. It means being selfish. It means being mean-spirited. It's this whole idea that you're no longer treated as a partner anymore. You've been unfaithful in this realm of your marriage. Now, immediately, well, I've never committed adultery, so I'm good. God, what else? No, God says it's more than just this issue of what you think unfaithfulness is. Now, hang on. I'm not pointing you guys out. I'm going to use you as an example. All right. Now, take this. Uh, yeah, we're good. Yeah, all right. You got, you're holding the hands. All right. This is good. I'm not picking on you or anything. This, you know, I've got, I'm, you're going to, I'm going to use an example here in a minute. Um, <coughs> marriage is a powerful God-given partnership. We see this all through scriptures. In fact, here's the partnership. Ephesians 5.21 says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So first of all, I want you to know, in a godly marriage, husband and wife are equal. Everybody say equal. Husband and wives are equal. The Bible says, submit to one another. All right? This is God's will. You are equal. Paul goes on to say that there is no difference between a man and a woman, between Jew and Greek, between rich or poor. We are all the same in the eyes of God. We are equal. If I say equal. But the Apostle Paul goes on a little bit and he says this. He says, Ephesians 5.22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, who loves that word Submit. Men only raise their hands. Now, this is one of those interesting words. It is terribly misunderstood. And this is how we kind of like walk around and pull her around a little bit, you know. Let's just kind of walk over there and yank her over there. Yeah. And go ahead and go along with it. Tell her what to do. Act like you're telling her what to do. Yeah, tell her. Yeah, you tell her. You tell her, man. Be a man. Come on. She's not used to that. All right, she's not. All right, here's, here, that's what we think. We think, well, you know what? And then, and then in our minds we're saying, woman, submit, right? Have you ever heard that? Wives, have you ever heard that? Have you? Woman, submit. Who's ever said that? Why, honey, don't raise your hand. Who's ever? <laughs> this, this is the verse I was telling you about to listen to today. Um, actually, we were joking about it this week. Um, here's what that word submit means. It means to follow. It means to follow. So let's kind of explain that a little bit. It means, it means this. Wives, let him and encourage him to lead. All right? You are equal. Everybody say equal. But the Word of God says, wives, let him lead. Lead, right? Let him and encourage him. Want him. Allow him to lead. All right? 
Now, this, is, this does not make you less of a person, less of an of a example. doesn't definitely make you not as smart. Am I right on that one? Right? Am I right on that one? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a good time to say uh-huh. Because many of us know that our wives are brilliant. One of my greatest teachers in my life, and my greatest counselor, my greatest advisor is my wife. But women, let him and encourage him to leave. But then Paul goes on and says this, Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means, like this, it means men lead like Christ. Women, let him lead. Men lead like Christ. Now think, how did Christ lead? Did he lead like, over there, go over there, do this, you know? No, what he did was he was a humble servant leader, caring, sacrificing. He was patient. He was empowering. He empowered us. He was a gracious man. He looks out for our best. He gave his life for us. We are called his bride. That's what Christ did for us. Men lead like Christ. Here's an example. Now, i got to ask you women, would that offend you if your man led like that? Would that offend you at all? Would that offend any women in here to let a man who does all that lead your own? Would that bother you? I don't think so. The challenge is, men, you don't. You don't do that. You don't lead like Christ. You want the submission without the humble, servant, gracious, patient, like Christ leader. You want the snap your fingers, get me something. You want the I'm the boss authority without the humble servant leadership. So there's resistance because who wants to follow that, right? But here's how it works. Here's an example. Let's just act like there's a door over there, all right? Act like you're going to open up a door and go to a restaurant. What would you do if your wife was with you or should do? All right. Now, there's a thought. <laughs> yeah, he did. He kicked you. <laughs> all right. Here's the deal. Who led? Who was leading just now? He was leading, but who is he serving? Well, the Lord is serving, yes, but in this situation. He was leading, and who followed? But who is in front? She was. Now, check this out. This, as simple as an example as that is, that's how marriage should work. A humble servant leader takes the step forward, leads with gracious, serving, humble. See, that is a a physical picture of what should be happening spiritually in a home. You serve her to let her be honored. See, this is interesting. We think that leading men means we get the honor. But guess who the body of Christ is on the earth? The bride of Christ. The body of Christ. Who sees Jesus? Who is the one that Christ has empowered to reflect him in the world? The church, his bride. He's empowered us to lead the charge in the world. And he is giving his life daily in many ways to ensure that that happens. So here's the deal. Husbands, it is a partnership where you lead to serve her. Now, Thank you for just being here as a picture of a husband and wife. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to tell you guys something. This is a challenge for both men and women, this passage here. But I want to get to the gist of Malachi because here's the deal. In this, pa- in this passage, though, this is a challenge to men and women. In this passage, 
the responsibility of this issue is resting upon men. This is the challenge in Malachi, is men, you have been unfaithful. Maybe not physically, but in your heart, emotionally. You have not been the leader God has called you to be. It's time to man up. Men, here's a word for you. This is Malachi 1 and 2 in recap. If you feel like God's not there, God says, go back to what I did for you. If you feel like you're not making a difference, God says, go back to where you're called to be. And now God says, and now it's time to go back to your wife and be the man you committed to be. Nothing this Valentine's Day week would mean more than for you to rise to the challenge and be a man of God. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you. Knowing Christ is spirit life into a marriage, and it will change everything. Malachi 2.15, he goes on, Has not one God said to you, most translations say, Has not God made you one? He says, Has God not said uh, you belong to him in body and spirit? And what does one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be faithful, that's treacherous, to your wife. Here's the deal. He says your godly marriage affects your kids because I want you to write this down. God cares about your kids. God cares about your kids. Uh, This is about your children. This is not just about being a good person and being faithful physically to your wife. This is about being a couple that helps your kids grow with God. A godly marriage, it empowers them to know God and and raises them in a place where they understand the value of being in a community of of believers on a regular basis, where they value and understand that when troubles come, you go to your knees in prayer, that when, when, when life is going in one direction and God's word says another, you follow God's word regardless of how life says. This is about giving your children a model of love in a marriage that will help them to have a thriving marriage in their future. You know, I talk and speak with young people and known and worked with young people for over 25 years, and it's heartbreaking to hear this generation say they don't want to be married anymore. Many of them say it, they don't want to get married. They don't want to have a husband. They don't want to have a wife. They become disillusioned. Two things this tells me. It says, it says they don't like what they see at home. It's been unsuccessful, and they don't want that. And it also says they plan on disregarding God's plan for purity in their life. One of the greatest gifts you could ever give your kids, mom and dad, is a marriage that's filled with love, is a blessed, godly, loving marriage. And that includes uh, um, areas of discipline, and I don't have time to talk about that. There's some notes in your notes guide. We're going to end with this last verse right here. It's probably one of the most hotly debated verses in the Bible. It's the last portion of this week's discussion on Malachi. And it is a verse that is actually different in almost every other translation. I mean, so different that it means completely different things based upon the translation you look at. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share you some different translations because we're talking about now divorce. We're going to talk about how God cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. And this is the result of an unhealthy marriage. Let's look at some translations. The NIV 
1984 said, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Now, some of you are like, I don't have that translation in my NIV. That's right, because guess what? The NIV since then has changed it. And the current NIV says this. You can compare him. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God Almighty, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful. So there is the same NIV, 184 edition, one current edition, saying absolutely different things. One says God hates divorce, and one says don't be a hater, right? So, well, let's take a look. Maybe another translation has it figured out. Here's the ESV, a very accurate translation. It says, for the man who does not love his wife, the literal there is for the man who hates his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord, so guard guard yourself in spirit and do not be unfaithful. Well, that would be fine, but the NASB, another very accurate translation, says something completely different. And it says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord, so take heed and don't deal treacherously. Why the differences? Why the differences? Now, now I want to point this out because there's, I want to be honest with you, we're living in an age when we've got 70% of marriages have somebody in that marriage that has been divorced. About 55% of marriages end in divorce, but the majority, about 70% of marriages, have someone in the marriage who is divorced. So we need to know what God thinks about this, because this be something that can kind of follow us around in our heart unless we get this settled. And I, and I want to help you to know how God feels about this. But why the difference? The difference is because in the original manuscripts, there is no I. It only says hates and divorce. That's all. So some say, well, it means I hate divorce, says God. And some say, if you hate divorce, God says this. Some say, if you're a hater and you divorce, it says this. So that's why there's different translations. Some, some rabbis even say that it means if you hate her, divorce her. Believe it or not. The Orthodox Church interprets it that way. If you hate her, divorce her. Just don't be cruel to her. That's how they translate that verse. But the context, I believe, clearly leans to the person of God referring to himself and his thoughts. And I think one of the clearest versions is the NLT. And it says this, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. The whole idea of garment of wrong is that you're cloaking her in cruelty. Uh-oh, we got some audio, so if we could send somebody over there to, to, to finalize this. So here's a thought. This whole idea of being unfaithful, it says, so guard your heart. It means to tend your marriage. It means to attend it. So I want to wrap up with these few thoughts. A few thoughts about divorce and what God thinks about divorce. Number one, I want you to know this. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Matthew 5, Jesus reaffirms that. Why does God hate divorce? Because it reflects His love for us. It reflects our relationship with Him. And number two, it's because He loves you and it hurts you. 
But it's not the only thing God hates. So I want to tell you number two is this, is that not only does God hate divorce, but God does not always forbid divorce. I love that this song is my background. We needed something lighter on this topic here. God does... Let's just take a moment and meditate on this song for a Thank you. God does not always forbid divorce. In fact, we, you can, I've got some verses there. God does give some room if there is cases for abuse, abandonment, and adultery. However, I want you to write this down. This is number three. Is it when you say, I do, God is for you, and that regardless of what your marriage has gone through, regardless of what you have experienced, regardless of where you are now, if God can raise the dead, he can raise a dead relationship. He can raise a dead marriage. So I want you to know that God can take a messed up marriage and heal it. Unfortunately, the church has done very poorly with this, has dealt very poorly. We've either ostracized people that have been divorced and say, you can't be in ministry, you can't teach, you can't be a significant person, but hey, the murderer, the rapist, all the horrible other people, you can do anything, but the divorced person, you can't do anything. Unfortunately, that is unhealthy, it's wrong, it's unbiblical, but most churches treat the divorced person like they got leprosy. However, there's also another extreme. Some churches have gone, hey, you know what? We get divorced. You want one? No problem. And they give so much leniency to it that it's so rampant in the church that it's not an example that honors God. Here's the challenge for Christians, and that is God hates it, but it's not the end of the story if it happens. God hates it, but he doesn't hate you. Yeah, it's something that God does not want for your life, but if it happens, he can still use your life. It's not really what God intended for you. However, God still has a mission for you. And I want this to kind of get in your heart. Here's some thoughts I have on marriage. Rapid fire. I'm going to hit these really fast. Just a thought. I've got verses here. You can check them out later on. Um, You won't find these on a coffee mug. This is the reality of marriage. I want you to take this home today. You won't find this on a picture hanging on your wall. Love is a choice, not an emotion. Here we go. Marriage is not easy, nor is it always fair. That's where love comes in. You won't find that on a mug. A great marriage will be full of trouble. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 says. You want to get married? Bring on the trouble. Because when you get married, it's not, you know, beautiful storybook and they lived heavily, uh, happily ever after. It might be they lived happily, argumentatively ever after. Here's another thing I want you to think about. If, if I'm not working on my marriage, I'm working against it. This is very purposeful. This is something that the, the scriptures unpack. I love this. There is no perfect mate. You see, when you get married, that person who you think is perfect, you find out they have a sin problem, just like you. And you might have discovered it as soon as you went home together. Here's another thing. Who we marry isn't as important as how we do marriage. And I want you to hear this out because I've had people come to me and say, well, I, I wasn't a Christian when this happened. And, you know, well, you know, we, I married too young and, you know, we didn't really love each other and blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. There's a story in the Bible of a couple that should have never have gotten married. It was the worst of circumstances. It was birthed out of sin. It's a guy named David and a lady named Bathsheba. He saw her on his favorite pornography sites which was on the roof watching women take baths. He invited her over. They had 
a baby. He had his, her, uh, her husband killed. It was a marriage that should have never have happened. Yet their marriage went on to be a marriage that was beautiful and lovely. And she was mentioned in every genealogy of Christ as a very important, valuable person in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how you've started. It's not about who we marry. It's how we do marriage. And God can take even what you think is a bad beginning and turn it into a great ending. Marriage is to be a pursuit of holiness, not happiness. Our spouses were given to us to bring joy and challenges, to help shape us into more of the image of Christ, that only a spouse can do that. No one can shape me like my wife can. I'll be honest, right? Husbands, right? Wives, no one can hurt you, shape you round the edges, talk to you, speak into your life, make you feel little, make you feel strong like your spouse. Here's the last thing. Is it uh, a marriage that lasts is a marriage that is centered on Jesus Christ. And I want to focus on this last thought. This verse in Malachi, when he says God hates divorce, he, it tells us one very clear thing. And I want us to end with this thought, is that God cares about your future. God cares about your future. He mentioned this because your future matters. And I want, I want to clarify this, because many of you are divorced. Many of our leadership team have been divorced. And I want you to know this. If your marriage fails... God will never fail you. He takes us where we are, and he moves us forward from there. There is hope and a new start for those who have been divorced. So I want to encourage you. If you feel like, man, I've blown it. This is the first year I've been single. This is maybe going on three years. God, will I ever be able to do anything great again? God says, I care about your future. I care about you care about where you're going. And if you failed in life, God will never fail you. He cares about you. He cares about your commitments. He cares about who you date. He cares about who you marry. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. He cares about you. you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I just need to know that God loves me, cares for me. I'm alone this Valentine's. I have nobody. Maybe you're in a marriage where you feel loveless. You're married, but you don't feel loved. Maybe you've lost a love. Maybe you've lost the person you love and you're in pain this year, this week, this time of year. And I want you to know God loves you. And you know who else God loves He cares deeply about, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, God cares deeply about the world. As Malachi takes it a whole other step forward in confronting areas of our life. I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for, uh, God, our day today. Lord, there was a lot going on in our service today. and Father, I pray that we wouldn't lose track of what is going on in our heart and in our lives. And Lord, those that are here that need to know that you care for them, that you love them, that you're not finished with them. The Lord, that there is a future for them. The Lord, you take the broken and you heal. God, you can mend the wounded. And Father, if there's a marriage and there's a couple that is willing to put you at the center of their life, Lord, that you can bring hope and new beginnings to them. But look, Lord, if there's somebody here on the back end of a broken marriage, God, let them know that 
you want to still work in their life. God, thank you so much that you are faithful, faithful, faithful. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I just, I just need to know that the Lord is with me, that he is not finished with me. Heads bowed. Could you just do something to say, you know what, that's me. I need to know God's not finished with me and my life and my marriage. Is that you? Just raise your hands. You know what, that's me today. All over. Go ahead, see. You know what? That's me. Amen. God, thank you for these men and women, Lord, who raise their hands. Lord, they're calling out to you. Let's all stand up for a moment. We're going to uh, worship God with our giving. We're going to end with some worship here. But I, I want to pray for you. Father, God, you're there. God, you are close. You are with us. You never fail us. God, as we cry out to you, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get on our knees. God, I pray for the men in this room. Lord, I pray for the men of this room to rise up and be the men of God they were called to be in their home, to lead their children, to lead their wife, a humble, servant, patient, gracious leader, Father. God, let us look to you as how we can do this better. Lord, I pray for the wives, Lord, help them to be a loving encourager as they encourage their husband to lead and as they learn to follow as they learn to trust you thank you God that you are with us in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast if you enjoyed this message we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas for directions and more information about the church go to www.livingwaychurch.cc